Hi, my name's Noreen Jamil, and this is... Emily-Kate Stevens. Both of us have been diagnosed with long COVID. And we've created this podcast dedicated to the condition. Welcome to the Long COVID Sessions. So, Noreen, how was your week? Insert expletives at this point, because it's been terrible. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I've had, I've, I've obviously, I said I was getting on my dip phase and it's been horrid and I've resorted to taking my heart pills like an old lady, which is the first time I've really resorted to taking them. And it's, I just, I just had to this time. And have they made a difference? Uh, they didn't yesterday. I took them for the first time yesterday. They didn't really make any difference yesterday, but today I haven't had the chest pain that I had yesterday. So I'm hoping that I can do these for a few days and then come off and then see how I am, basically. Uh, and when you say that um, you felt horrible, what specifically was horrible? I mean, doing the washing up, my heart rate went to 160. Ooh. And uh, out of breath, chest pain. I have this really odd sensation, which if you read about it, you think you're about to have a heart attack. It's like someone's got a knife in the center of my back and is just twisting it the whole day. That's and horrible. Yeah, that's that's apparently it's heart pain. So oh. Oh, it's a good job we talked to a cardiologist this week anyway, Emily. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've actually had a uh, slightly better week. I haven't had a headache. I am really, really struggling with food. Uh, and that is sort of a new thing over the past four or five months that I, I really, really struggle to eat. I struggle with nausea and I struggle with digestion of food after I've eaten it gets so painful that it sometimes just feels better not to eat um, and for as someone who really likes food that's uh, really not that fun I mean that really one of life's joys left to me is food yeah yeah and me so that would suck honestly so yeah well listen I'm glad I'm glad you're feeling better I'm I long way at last and uh well, we need one of us to feel okay to be able to get this podcast out each week. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. So this week's guest uh, was someone who you must have found particularly interesting to speak to. Yes, Dr. Alexander Lyon, uh, top cardiologist, um, works at the Royal Brompton and also has his own practice at the Physicians Clinic. Uh Really, really interesting to talk about just one organ. And it's an organ that a lot of people seem to suffer with. Um, and an organ that people, I think, will find they're possibly suffering with without knowing that their symptoms are attributed to it. Exactly. I mean, I didn't know that breathlessness could be anything other than lung capacity. And it's, in my case, 100% heart-related. Mm. So this is a this is a good one for anyone you know suffering from unexplained breathlessness, chest pain, Doctor Lyon, and even the fatigue, through, and the fatigue. Yeah, it's Doctor Lyon goes through all the all the ways in which he's seen that long COVID has affected the heart. It was the experience of working in intensive cares in the very first wave that taught doctors and from our perspective cardiologists that actually this virus does cause direct heart problems 
So we initially thought, oh, this is a respiratory disease and it causes, uh, as we all know, severe lung disease leading to acute low oxygen levels that can be life-threatening and people were dying of lung disease. But actually, when we saw them in ITU, there was a lot of problems with their hearts. People going into heart failure because the heart muscle gets weaker and therefore can't support the organs and life. We saw also inflammation of the membrane around the heart called the pericardium. So that's a condition called pericarditis, which I'll come back to because that's very common in long COVID. And that led to fluid accumulation that can, in emergency situations, can squash the heart. And so some people need that fluid released immediately. And then we also recognize that COVID causes a lot of blood clots. And we saw blood clots in the veins. And if they travel to the lungs, they cause lung problems. And that causes a right heart disease. Just to clarify that those were all in the acute phase, that you saw those when you were in ITU. These are all the acute phase. And then also arterial problems leading to heart attacks. And there were heart attacks and strokes where clots are occurring in the arterial system. And the more we explored this, we realized that one of the things that COVID does, and it does, a, I think if we think of the heart and the circulatory system in two parts, there are people where the virus was causing direct damage to the heart muscle. And then there were people where it was causing damage to the blood vessels. And both of those factors seem to involve inflammation. And that's the body's immune system reacting to the tissue and clots. So that was all happening in intensive care and suddenly it opened our eyes to the fact that this virus is not just a lung disease virus, but it's causing lots of effects. And then it was in about May of 2020 that I started to get referred a few people who'd had COVID at home in the January, February, March window. Obviously, Healthcare services had really shut down from mid-March to May and were just starting to emerge. And people were being sort of sent along because they were still breathless or still had chest pain. And from that early time till now, I have just been referred, you know, more and more people who've had COVID. Initially, the first wave and the first wave is complex because diagnostic access to prove you had COVID was limited. Yeah. So in reality, a lot of those people who had COVID in the first wave, it's a clinical diagnosis versus by October, November, the mini second wave, and then the big third wave of December, January, where most people actually got proven by going and getting tested. And also in the, the latter group, we encourage people often to go to intensive care or to doctors in a COVID secure environment to get blood tests. And you could see their levels of inflammation, their levels of blood clot uh, markers and chest x-rays. So that actually when they came to us afterwards, it was clear that, that what illness they'd had. Those are, are sort of three different markers, if you like, that, that indicate people have had COVID as opposed to um, heart problems caused by something else is it that combination so i think when when people were going in acutely in say december and january they had a pcr swab and were proven to be covid positive whereas very few people from february march april 2020 had yeah. that 
Then subsequently, some many of those people had an antibody test that proved at some point they've been exposed. But we know the antibody tests aren't perfect. And many people give a very typical story of severe breathlessness, losing their sense of smell and taste, chest pain, but their antibodies six months later are negative. So it's then a clinical diagnosis based on you know, the logic that not many other illnesses cause a loss of sense of smell and taste and all that sort of portfolio okay. of symptoms. So so we saw this sort of inflammatory reactions occurring. And the way I think of this at a biological level is that the COVID virus goes into a tissue and that tissue could be the heart muscle or blood vessel tissue or lung tissue. And it creates an immune reaction, as all viruses do. But the problem in this disease is that the immune reaction seems to be very intense. And that's why acutely people can die of it. But normally the immune system then turns itself off. So it's like you get the accelerator and then you get the brakes put on and that turns it all down and switches the immune levels back to normal. Whereas in long COVID, that switching off does not occur and therefore you're left with a low-grade, grumbling, active inflammatory process. And that is one of the hallmarks of long COVID is fatigue. And l l grumbling inflammation from whatever disease, one of the things it causes is fatigue. And from a heart perspective, we've then seen this sort of emergence of people with chest pain and breathlessness some are sent to me by their GPs, some from lung specialists, because a lot of the breathlessness goes to respiratory or lung specialists, but they can't find a problem and they come to us. And then we found that people have had inflammation of either the membrane around the heart called pericarditis or the muscle of the heart, which we call myocarditis or both. And it seems that this process can go on for literally months and months and months. So even now, in the last three months, I've still been seeing people from the first wave from March 2020 who have got low grade grumbling inflammation of their heart. Who are seeing you for the first time now? Yes. Uh, so as well as the people who've had this more recently, shall we say, COVID infections from the, the most recent wave of December, January. And of course, we got to meet those people more rapidly because we'd already learned, whereas through 2020, it was sort of understanding things. But I would say by September, I'd probably seen about 30 or 40 people with the heart complications of long COVID and got a feel of what it was like. Now it's over 140 and those 140 are very lucky because they get to see you. There are still many people sitting at home who haven't been able to see a cardiologist. And for those people who are just searching on social media and reports for someone to describe the symptoms, how would you describe a typical patient that will come in to you and what would they say that they're suffering? I'm going to divide the typical patient into two types, okay? The first is the person who has inflammation in their heart either in the pericarditis, myocarditis, or both. And what they typically have is chest pain, which sometimes is always there, but there are times when it flares and gets worse, but it never is really gone. And other people where it's more intermittent, so they've got good days when there's no pain, but other days when it seems to flare up. The typical feature of 
Pericarditis type pain is it's worse when you lie flat in bed at night so on your back or sometimes lying on your left, you feel uncomfortable, whereas there is more relief lying on your right or possibly on your front or being upright. So that's the sort of chest pain. Typically, when it's very uh, uh, inflamed, it's worse when you breathe in. So during the acute infection, many people said, oh, it felt like my lungs were burning because every time I breathe in, I got this terrible pain. That was actually the pericardium, I think, not the lungs. That's interesting. That's the heart. Yeah. And then that sort of just continues on. The second feature that's very typical is breathlessness. And so a lot of people doing very simple things, going up the stairs at home or walking out to go to the shops, they just have to stop. And these are young, previously fit and healthy people, which I'll come back to, because that's where they're different in long COVID cohort from the patients who we hear a lot about who go into hospital and have been dying, who are the elderly with lots of pre-existing disease. The uh, other thing which is really typical is this heart rate phenomenon. And I think there are two parts to this. The first is the resting heart rate is much higher than previously. And often these are fit, healthy people. You'd expect a resting heart rate to be somewhere between 55 and 70 beats per minute, but it's up at 80, 85, even 100 beats per minute at rest. But the thing that they all describe is as soon as they do any exertion, their heart rate shoots up. So we know that everybody's heart rate goes up with exercise. That's natural physiology, but it's like it's an exaggerated response. And in a few people, in the minority, it's an arrhythmia sometimes, so they also can have heart rhythm disturbances. But for the vast majority, it's the normal pacemaker of the heart just accelerating much faster. So I call that an inappropriate sinus tachycardia because it's from the sinus node, which is our pacemaker in the heart. But it's just like it's accelerating up much more rapidly. So, for example... When you're young and fit and healthy, if you're going up the stairs, you'd expect your heart rate to start at 60 and then go up to 70 or possibly 75. Whereas here, these people with long COVID, their heart rate's starting at 85, which is high for them, but it's going up to 130 on their monitors. So we use these 24-hour or 48-hour ECG monitors to look at heart rate profiles. And there's this very typical spiky profile whereby any degree of exertion, it's shooting up and people don't like this. And of course, if the heart's inflamed, then it's aggravating that inflammation. A little bit analogous to if you really twist your ankle and it's swollen and painful, you don't run on it. You often can't even walk on it. (laughs) You want to let it rest. And of course, these high heart rates, in my view, are aggravating the inflammation. So it's not letting it settle, albeit that it's the fundamental basis of it is actually the immune system that's still auto-activated and driving the problem. And that's why we've had success with anti-inflammatory drugs to try and switch off and reset the immune system back towards normal, plus drugs to calm the heart rate to get rid of this feeling of this sudden surge in the heart rate with any levels of activity. Can we go back to absolute basics? Can you just explain to us the physiology of what is happening when your heart rate starts accelerating? What is your body trying to do when the heart beats faster? Yes. So let's talk about normal life. So 
when we're resting, our heart rate at 60, 70 beats per minute is just gently pumping blood around the body and we feel that as our pulse. And then if we exert ourselves, whether it's going to play some sports, going for a runner, going into the gym, playing tennis, or if we're excited or have a shock or fright, adrenaline and our brain's adrenaline nervous system stimulates the heart to beat faster and stronger. So the muscle contraction improves and increases and the heart beats faster and the combination pumps much more blood around our body. To enable us to have more oxygen. And that delivers the oxygen, yeah, to, to our tissues, particularly our skeletal muscle if we're exercising in our arms and legs, but also gets rid of the carbon dioxide, taking it back to the lungs so we breathe it out. So that's normal physiology but in this situation we have this exaggerated heart rate response that's inappropriate um it's complex as to why this is happening and i think my honest answer to that is we don't know there are some uh, hypotheses um words are being bounded around like dysautonomia but i'm not sure we really understand this um I'm going to say an observation, which is purely an observation, which is where you do a lot of cardiac MRI in our patients to look for inflammation, because that's really the best way to look for inflammation in the heart. Unfortunately, an echocardiogram, which is a jelly-based ultrasound of the heart, um, doesn't often pick up abnormalities, particularly in my experience in long COVID patients, you can have a normal echo. So many people have seen a cardiologist and their echo's normal, their blood tests don't look particularly exciting, the ECG doesn't look abnormal and they're told there's nothing going on in their heart. But if you get the MRI, you see abnormalities. But one of the other things we've seen, and this is still emerging, so this isn't proven, is that in some people the, the amount of heart muscle can be calculated as a mass or weight seems to be dropping or reducing in long COVID. A bit like your muscles of your of your body. Some people describe a lot of weight loss, and this can be this sort of uh, hypermetabolic syndrome. And we're seeing this a little bit with the heart. So I think part of this is also almost like the heart muscle going into a deconditioned state that needs to be improved. And it's complex, but the inflammation may be partly leading to that. So in my experience with long COVID patients, if we see inflammation in the heart, then we use anti-inflammatories, not things like ibuprofen that you can get over the counter. Those don't work. There are more specialized immune suppression and immune modulatory drugs, but they seem to be effective. And fortunately, quite a few of my patients, not everybody, but quite a few say, wow, it helps the heart, but it also cuts through the fatigue, the brain fog, showing that those probably also have an inflammatory basis. And that comes back to blood vessels, because I think that for a lot of those symptoms, it might relate to the micro vessels of the body getting inflammation. And that's what we call endothelitis when it's the endothelium, the inner lining of the blood vessels that might have inflammation. So I'm treating the heart, but actually the anti-inflammatory effect is all the way through the body. So if we're seeing, our, if we're seeing hearts being deconditioned and the advice is to rest, how do we then kind of recondition our hearts? Is it through exercise or 
it is ultimately, but as we know, you can't exercise if it hurts to exercise because of pain. And if your heart rate shoots up to 150 beats per minute when you're just starting out rather than, you know, after half an hour. So I think reality is, in my view, we have to get control of the inflammation first, get somebody feeling better. And then at that point, introduce them into an exercise rehabilitation program. Because if you just go into the exercise rehab program up front and the underlying problem has not been controlled, then it's not going to work, in my opinion. That is immediately going for a run on your brain ankle, basically. Exactly. You've got to let it heal. Just specifically for the heart, you know, you're a very experienced cardiologist with many, many years under your belt. Do you see this as being something that people are going to have to live with, that they're going to have to suffer through damage? For the rest of their lives or do you think this is something that will get better so first of all noreen thank you for i hope i'm young still um so the first thing to say is that i'm gonna give you examples from pre-covid and i share this with my patients so if we take viruses or other causes of pericarditis, people can feel really debilitated, like now, long COVID. They're washed out, knackered, and the pain, and it's not pleasant. In the majority, the vast majority, once you get the inflammation under control for a period and switch it off and reset the system, they're fine, and they fully recover. But there is a minority where one of two things happens. Either they never fully get control to a point where you can take away medicine and they need to be left on some long-term treatment to keep their immune system under control. And another group where they get better, we take them off their medicines, things are fine for a while, and then at some point down the line, they get a flare-up of their symptoms, their pericarditis and inflammation of the heart. Now, the second flare is usually triggered by another infection, for example, and I just think of it that the immune system's ramped up again and it starts to recognize the heart as it did before, whereas otherwise it was quiescent and asleep. There are maybe people who get a disease, an autoimmune disease, triggered so their immunity then is the thing that grumbles on, and we've now heard about people Developing syndromes, and I say that carefully, like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis triggered after their COVID. And of course, those diseases can cause heart inflammation. So it's early days, of course, because none of us know what the five-year or 10-year follow-up after a COVID infection is. But if we take examples from other causes of heart inflammation, I'm optimistic that most people will get better and stay better. But I can never promise it. And I make it clear that because we don't know, the logical thing to do is once we've got you better is to at least keep an eye on you with a uh, annual check just to make sure everything remains fine for a period. And then one day we'll be able to say, look, now we can stop following up or if we do pick up an early problem, because the other thing is with heart muscle We've focused quite a lot of our conversation on the pericardium, and that's the membrane. But the heart muscle, if that is inflamed, there is a small group of people where that can introduce a weakening of the heart muscle. 
Normally, it's overt at the time of the infection that those people are very sick and in intensive care or in hospital and their heart's weak. But there is a small group of people who get a viral infection of the heart that initially doesn't seem to cause many issues. But if we take a 10 or 20 year view, some it can introduce a weakening that then gradually progresses. So that's why my view is that all people who've had inflammation of their heart muscle called myocarditis should have an annual checkup. But I would reassure them that the vast majority are going to be absolutely fine. And this is a sort of belt and braces approach because we don't know at this stage. But um, from other viruses, there can be a weakening of the muscle at the time. But like other muscles, you can carefully build the strength back up of your heart muscle, potentially the way you can with other muscles with careful treatment. Yes. So exactly. Yeah. So I've got examples of people who had covid with let's call it long covid come to see me and the heart is function is reduced so they're very breathless and their heart performance is definitely down on the echo scans as well as mri scans and with our medicines that we'd use conventionally in people with weaker hearts you get them better and they feel good and they're thinking immediately of one or two people who i saw early on who are now off their heart medicines and the heart function has stayed normal and they're back exercising and feeling normal, which is great. But they had an awful 2020 because they were very unwell for a long period. Um, the way I think of this from a biological perspective is out in the world that we live in, some of us, and it could be even you and me, we don't know unless you get tested, but some of us have genetic changes in the heart muscle genes that don't cause an overt disease on their own, but they mean that if the heart gets a second insult, it's less able to cope with that insult and therefore starts to get weaker. And we've got examples of this in other areas of cardiology where chemotherapy that damages some people's hearts, there is a higher likelihood of those people having a genetic susceptibility to heart muscle disease or alcohol, intense alcohol is another example. So I suspect for COVID that has caused, caused so many millions of infections that there'll be some people where that infection does cause a heart weakening because they've got a gene that makes them susceptible to it. But I want to reassure everyone listening that that is a small fraction of the population, but we're dealing with big numbers. And of course, I only see who I see. So cardiologists by bias get people with the chest pain, the breathlessness, palpitations. I don't think that I had heart issues, although now that you mentioned certain things, the breathlessness, um, I've been very dizzy. I've had an echocardiogram and it is clear. I've not had an MRI. Um, but there are other symptoms that I guess you would attribute to the heart. And I wonder if you can explain them. And two of those are that I get sort of popcorn feeling in my chest, which I think is maybe tachycardia or arrhythmia. It just feels like a pop, 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 but irregular. But I also can feel the blood moving in my head. It's a sort of whooshing. And I can feel my pulse beating in my head in a way that I never could before. Are those indicative of some kind of residual heart issue caused by the COVID? Or are they just part of the whole general fatigue and inflammation in the body? So I think the first one which you describe, and people use lots of different language to this, to, me, to my ears, those, what you're describing as a popping feeling 
could be extra heartbeats, which are called ectopic beats. And often people don't, well, most people don't actually feel the ectopic. What they feel is the extra strong beat that comes afterwards, which is a normal beat, but the heart's filled with a slightly greater proportion of blood because the ectopic beat comes early and resets the clock on the filling time for the next heartbeat. But So the extra beats are only maybe a third of the normal strength, so most people don't feel them. But then they, And if you're having a lot, let's say your heart rhythm is going normal beat, extra beat, normal beat, extra beat, you feel like it's jumping around. Now, some people feel of that as a popping sensation in your language. Um got to be careful because you can also have problems in the lungs that can cause popping as well if you do have little pockets so so not all popping in the chest area is the heart but it's conceivable that those are extra beats and therefore a rhythm issue which you can get checked out by wearing a monitor and ideally if you feel your symptoms at the time you're wearing an ecg monitor you make a note of the time and we see what's going on the second symptom which again i hear quite frequently i is not primarily a heart problem i think this is down to this inflammation of blood vessels and then that leads to abnormalities of blood vessel regulation and then you feel it in funny ways and people feel pulses all over their bodies in a way that they never did whether it's the tips of their toes their fingers arms head as you describe and it, that's difficult i think in my view the probable underlying issue is again inflammation a lot of people who have susceptibility to migraine say their migraine gets a lot worse after after covid or that they start getting migraines that they never had before and that we believe vascular through vasospasm of the brain's blood vessels that underlies migraine in a lot of people normally before covid so now you can see how inflammation leading to dysregulation of blood vessels can lead to headaches or these these throbbing feelings. Very interesting, because you don't know my history at all, but one of my major long COVID symptoms is the migraine. I'm not sitting here asking you for a diagnosis. I'm just putting forward these symptoms to, to help our listeners to... Uh, try and understand some of the things that might be going on in their body i'm not sitting here asking for you for a free diagnosis no but i mean i think you need to to think about you know how how you get to in front of doctors so for example i know there are nerve doctors called neurologists who have now seen a lot of people with the nerve related or brain-related non-COVID sy symptoms and have got their approaches and strategies. So, um, you know, I, th I think it's about getting to meet doctors who understand that this is real because one of the barriers, in my view, to getting effective long-COVID care is a lot of the simple blood tests that look for illness are normal. So your blood, full blood count, your CRP... Uh, normal and then everyone says oh there's nothing going on here and if you're thinking of the heart many people can have a normal ecg and a normal echocardiogram and are told look there's nothing going on well i'm afraid as a cardiologist that's not good enough because you need an mri you need blood tests the simple blood test initially is called a bnp or nt pro bnp which even a gp can do and in young healthy people it should be plumb normal and we see it is very consistently mildly raised and many people might sweep that away and go oh it's only mildly up well the question is why this person's breathless and no one can tell them why so i would use that as advice across you know 
the, the nation and the, the world for people who've got long COVID and they haven't got an answer yet is at least ask their primary care doctors to check a BNP or NT Pro BNP. Um, in London, you might know we've been doing some things with uh, one of my colleagues, Paul Glynn, who's on one of your other podcasts, looking at T-cells and showing that actually it's quite a typical abnormality of a T-cell signature. These are immune cells. But this isn't a routine blood test. No, this is not available in any centres, but it does prove that there's something abnormal going on in people's immunity, even though lots of the standard blood tests come back normal. I think that's excellent practical advice just for people with long COVID, just to have something to take to their GP and 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 push for a specific test. That's very helpful. Thank you. Just as a last question, you have your specialty of cardiology and Dr. Glynn is a, a generalist and then we have neurologists and people with long COVID have these multidisciplinary effects on their body. So you're having to work with a group of doctors, which must be really interesting. For you over the past year or year and a half that you've been seeing people with long COVID, it's pretty exciting, I I guess, as a medical professional to see a new disease and its effects. But what is what are your main takeaways over the last year and a half? What have you learned? Yeah, I mean, I'll go back to the fact I think this is a combination of inflammation. During the acute phase, there's a lot of clotting. I should say, because we mentioned it earlier on, that I have seen some, let's call them early long COVID patients, so people within four to six, four months of their infection where they're still unwell, where they have a clot in their lungs. So we don't forget pulmonary emboli or blood clots on the list of reasons why people can be still breathless many weeks after their acute illness. I think the pattern of people who get long COVID with, in my clinic for heart problems is completely different to the group of people who were dying in ITU. So the people who die, and that was obviously a tragedy, the worst are elderly, people with pre-existing heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, cancer, obese patients, and uh, diabetic patients. And there was a strong signal of more men than women and more non-Caucasian or non-white ethnicities compared to white or Caucasian ethnicity. Long COVID in my younger population is a completely different spectrum. The average age is about 35. Many of them say that they were fit and well before they had their long COVID more Caucasians than non-Caucasians, although that may be bias of different ways to access care in London. Some have allergy as a background, but some, a few have autoimmune disease as a background. And many, and this will be my final take-home message because there is a learning point for listeners, is many were athletic. They're fit, young, athletic men and women, and I should say it was more women than men as well in the long COVID cohort, and I think they were exercising while they had the COVID virus. Because if you exercise every day for an hour, because that's what your go-to life is, and it's what your enjoyment is, then when you get a bit of a sniffle in the first day or two, what do you do? You just go and run it off. And what you're actually doing is... Is, is you're full of a virus and that's now finding your heart because your heart's working extra hard and maybe expresses a bit more ACE2 and then you start to get the heart complications. So I've got a lot of young athletic people, the triathletes, the marathon runners, the long distance cyclists who I think were exercising intensely. So if you do get COVID again, 
you just take it easy. You don't go out and try to go to the gym. I think I come off the end of every every session that we do and say that was excellent. I know. Every person that we speak to, I learn so much about both the disease as a whole and what's happening to my body. I know. I hope that it's the same for our listeners. Yeah. I hope that we're helping people to understand some of what's going on for them and encouraging them to seek the help that they need to get better. Uh, please do get in touch and tell us your thoughts. And please do share this podcast with other sufferers or people that might find it useful. Join us next week as we hear others' experiences of long COVID. Share your stories and questions at tlcsessions.net. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the latest updates. And if you found this interesting, please do subscribe.